It's the mid-1970s. You're watching television when an advertisement comes into view on the screen. It depicts a Native American man rowing a long wooden canoe through a beautiful river. Soft music plays while low light portrays an almost sad foreshadowing effect. You watch as the man continues to row the canoe through the river when a used can flows past the man in the boat. More trash flows along the river as it accumulates into more and more. All of a sudden, the trees begin to dissipate, and replacing their natural view comes the sight of smokestacks from some sort of industrial plant compound. The river, littered with trash, soon becomes polluted with the excess flow of sewage and pollution. You begin to feel sad for the poor native man as his face comes into focus, and the infamous tear sheds from his eyes. The crying Indian. This famous ad from American television hits home on an emotional level that ties into the ideas of both the indigenous views of nature versus the ways in which the Western world sees the environment. Hello, my name is Jacob Corbin, and throughout this podcast, I will dive into the ever-complex relationship between the ways in which native concepts of the natural world relate and differ to that of the Western view of nature and its concepts of the wilderness. I guess diving in here, I can start with talking about Western ideologies of the natural world. Um, these go back and have ties um, back into European ideology and uh, definitely have religious roots to them. Um, but the overall theme within the Western concept of the natural world is this idea of wilderness and that wilderness is seen as untamed that basically sent from the garden of Eden. Um, and because man had been deceived, um, by the serpent in the garden of Eden, it's the natural world itself is like trying to get back to this, this garden, this natural state. Um, and so wilderness kind of comes from that religious kind of context of, um, of it being something that man is now seen as needing to conquer in a sh one way, shape or form. Um, and that also is the, the idea of, you know, the, the idea behind farming and how farming is seen more than just sustaining life, uh, for, for man and his family it's seen as potentially getting getting the landscape back to its holy state if you will that might be a little much but but that's basically the concept behind this this needing to tame the natural world around us um Think of historical American tales of Lewis and Clark and their drive and determination that, that kept the pilgrims alive in the first colonies. And think of the pursuit of westward expansion and manifest destiny. You know, were so many pioneering families who kept the concept of this American passion and determination. Um, they used it in order to overcome the elements, the harsh American landscape, and to finally reach settlement 
where they can start farming and tame tame the wilderness in a way you know then we can we can reach back into the the not so distant past if you really think about it in the the start of the environmental movement and um Rachel Carson and her literature Silent Spring that was seen as a catalyst for this this kind of a awareness in the United States that shed light on on the fact that our practices and our our ideologies behind the way we see the natural world and the way we interact with it is potentially going to kill us um and very well is in in slow slow but very serious ways um yeah and silent spring touched on touched on the perfect example of, of food production and the ways in which that we were just as a nation to blindly using chemicals uh, without even contemplating the consequences or you know the agencies who were allowing uh, for these chemicals to be used new and but the capitalistic system just you know favors it to happen more than anything um, And even more so than just food production and what Silent Spring brought to our awareness, but forest management. Um, again, the way we, the way that you, the United States and our practices have have used forest management skills in a way that is still trying to tame, like the natural existence of of what like mountain landscapes are. Um, and instead of allowing for woods to naturally burn in the ways that they would, or, uh, at least like even having our place in it and how we can have a positive hand in allowing these, these natural burns to happen, we constrict it and keep it from happening. And then wildfires are such a problem and it, it definitely all ties back into this this deep root of an ideological framework that says wilderness is something that needs to be tamed and cannot cannot happen naturally on its own that if we want it to be successful we need to have our hands in it one way or another diverting it from its natural course Now continuing on, we can dive into indigenous views of nature and the concepts in it. Um, one ideology that always stood out to me was the concept of the honorable harvest. Um, basically, the honorable harvest is an overarching acknowledgement that men and women are stewards of the earth and it is our responsibility to be in communication in one form or another um in that in order to take from the natural world around you you also have to give and you have to be open ears and listening and that means knowing when you you know you can afford to take more 
um, and when to know not to take any at all. Um, basically, the honorable harvest works in this in this balance um, where you know man and the natural world are in a natural conversation with one another. Um, but it is our job as stewards to do our part to keep that balance. And if you don't listen or you, you know, even refuse to listen, then uh, the balance is, is kiltered and with that comes suffering in one way or another. Um, a lot of these concepts too come from these emergence tales that, you know, describe uh, describe the emergence of so many of these tribes. Um, so these concepts are are held intergenerationally for for who knows how long for since the beginning of time for some of these for some of these groups. One big takeaway from uh, this course that I that I learned, um, especially pertaining to this this topic is um you know modern indigenous tribes now and their controlled burning practices and how it compares to that of like our federal forest service um maintenance if you will of um of like for the forestry departments um in these native controlled burns they've been holding these practices forever and um, it works in a much more frequent and hands-on way that you, you allow the forest to burn like as it needs, when, like when it needs it, um, but man is there as a director without you know, being in full control or not allowing for the forest to burn, which the way that it needs to, um, and these groups through this video we watched um shed light on how when these when these burns happen it's like a whole regeneration process and the ash builds into the topsoil and allows for this huge burst of fertilization um for different seeds and all all kinds of plants um you know, and it very much works alongside the wildlife in the area too, because when these when these areas happen, um, when these burns happen in certain areas, it allows for for certain wildlife like deer and elk or smaller animals to to gather and migrate through. Um, and so, it really, is it it works in much more of a dynamic process um, and allowing for all of the dynamic relationships in a certain ecosystem to interact together rather than trying to um, shun off the idea that, you know, a, a wildfire can actually be, well, is needed in, in certain ecosystems. It has been a decade since that crying Indian advertisement made its mark on the American Mayans at a time when the environmental movement was kickstarting and in retrospect has gotten us to where we are today in our public awareness of the conditions of our environment and the vast human impact that we have on them. It is certainly no question that the Western and indigenous views can differ so far from one another, 
But in order for us to find a solution to the inevitable, we must listen to our indigenous counterparts and make big changes to the ways in which we treat our beautiful world. I'm Jacob Corbin. Thank you for listening to my podcast.